You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And it is time for yet another edition of the Soonerscoop.com podcast. And we welcome you back, uh, Eddie Radosevich, Joe Duvall, myself, Kerry Murdoch, here with you to uh, talk a little bit about uh, what's been going on in Oklahoma football basically over the last, uh, I don't know, week, week and a half or so. Uh, but guys, uh, a lot of stuff with the Big 12 uh, and Baylor. Uh, but we've had some interesting things happen. Uh, last night, breaking news, Adrian Hardy, uh, wide receiver prospect, uh, was a quarterback in high school, uh, parts ways with Oklahoma. Uh, you've got Cody Thomas that is done at Oklahoma, which, Eddie, I know that's hard to believe since yeah. it seems like we just saw him uh, not too long ago uh, at spring practice in his high school uh, uniform. Uh, Buddy Heald goes number six in the draft last night. Isaiah Cousins ends up getting drafted. Uh, and then you've got coaching raises uh, across the board, and uh, including a huge raise for Lincoln Riley. Uh, so let's start there. And uh, Sooners obviously not underpaying Riley because he came from ECU, uh, paying him $500,000 a year. I'm sure it was a raise from what he was getting there. Uh, but I guess you could say that uh, Oklahoma has now sent a message saying, we want to do everything we can to keep you until the perfect job comes along. Especially during a time when uh, I, I think it could be argued that maybe giving coaches raises isn't the best time to do it uh, after they announce that uh, the university is having one of the uh, one of the worst battles, I guess, with uh, education funding in the history of the program or the history of the school. And uh, yeah, here's four hundred thousand dollars for Lincoln Riley. But uh, they obviously uh, every coach getting twenty five at least twenty five thousand dollars of a raise. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was interesting that uh, they gave pretty much everybody a raise, that it was uh, a full, full across the board raise for everybody. And uh, obviously uh, kind of a, uh, a tip of the cap to the coaching staff for the, uh, the way that uh, the, the program has gone or is going and, uh, and everything that has entailed since uh, the turnover, I guess, from uh, two years ago when, uh, when or I guess a year ago when Stoops made, made changes at the top. Well, you come off the Orange Bowl, uh, come off a, a national semifinal, the first appearance in, in the history of the school and the college football playoff, which hasn't been around for very long. But that's what you got to do. I mean, you're, you're in a place like Oklahoma, you got to be competitive. Uh, it was it was kind of interesting too, Joe. That uh, you know, Kerry Cooks came in on a, a multi-year deal, a two-year contract. That was part of what he needed in order to leave Notre Dame to come to Oklahoma. Uh, but interesting that he and Bill Biedenboe were the two guys that uh, were extended to 2018. Yeah, and there are a couple of guys that, uh, in our world of recruiting, a little more focused, that they've done a, a really good job since arriving in Norman. Uh, Kerry Cooks especially now really seems to have that secondary group rolling and recruiting, uh, being very selective on who he gets, getting guys like Rivals 250 guys like Bandy and Brown this year without much trouble. Uh, has lots of guys out on the radar. Uh, Bill Biedenboe has done an excellent job with that offensive line. 
I mean, just look at last year with Orlando Brown and Drew Samia. You have two bookend tackles. One's a redshirt freshman. One's a true freshman. And you make it to the college football playoff for the first time. I mean, most that goes against most uh, football ways of thinking about it. if you're not strong on the offensive line, if you're not experienced, then you can't make it. And, and it didn't look like Oklahoma had the experience on the on the on the offensive line. And Bill Bedenboe, uh first of all, identified the talent that could play early. Uh, Orlando Brown was kind of a unique situation that fell into his lap, but he still made the play for Orlando Brown, got him, brought in Drew Samia, uh, found guys that could work hard and, and play early. And not only that, but those are very talented guys uh, who have a chance to play in the league one day. And Kerry Cooks has done the same thing on the defensive side. Look what he did for uh, Zach Sanchez. Uh, that safety group, Ahmad Thomas and Stephen Parker, uh, really grew under Kerry Cooks. And uh, you really have to like what, what Jordan Thomas looks like. Jordan Thomas looks like a future uh, first day, second day NFL draft pick at corner. So uh, really, it's just it depends on who you are like anything else in life. If you're a student and your tuition just got raised and you see all these guys getting $25,000, $400,000 raises, you're thinking, okay, well, what's this about, OU? But, I mean, in the college football realm, you have to do this stuff. Look what Alabama does on every day. They, they, they have a staff that's much bigger than OU's, and they're paying them very well. And if you want to compete in this, I mean, it's a multi-million dollar business now. You have to you have to pay the talented people in your industry, and especially Lincoln Riley looks to be one of those guys, and they, they definitely boosted his rate, his pay. Well, and you know, it's it's taken some time for Oklahoma to come around. I mean, it was several years ago, I think, when Chad Morris kind of became the first. I don't know if he was the first million dollar assistant. Maybe Les Miles did that at LSU. I can't remember exactly uh, how that came about. But yeah, let's face it. I mean, even going back to the Kevin Wilson days, uh, OU was not always known. They they kind of said we're Oklahoma. We don't have to pay you the top. And they still kind of are that way. Yeah. I mean, I don't think Oklahoma is ever going to lead the nation in assistant pay, uh, but they are going to be competitive. Just like they're not going to they're not going to be like Alabama and say we're we have the highest paid head coach in college. I mean, Bob Stoops is very well paid. I, it, it, nobody's compl- I don't I would hope that nobody's complaining too much other than his agent. There might be a couple. Uh which is his job uh to to, to make that much money, but Joe Castiglione is just not the kind of guy that wants to have, you know, be the pace setter. And I don't think OU as a university wants to be the pace setter as the place that is is willing to pay the most to have a coach. I pulled up the uh, the pay scales for assistant coaches last year. There was nine coaches that made over a million dollars last season. Uh, I think yeah, a couple of them had have head coaching jobs. I think Will Muschamp. Will Muschamp. Yeah, one. he was number one. Uh, Brent Venables was number five at one point four million. Uh, Bringing both. Lincoln Riley and uh, Mike Stoops up to 900000 unless Phil Bennett got a raise, which you never know what Baylor could do. They might have given him a raise over the summer. Uh, they're now the highest-paid assistant coaches in the Big 12, uh, and that would be just at number 10, I guess, in the uh, nationally. I, I'm sure that some of these guys' pay scales have uh, changed over the course of the summer. But, uh, you know, an, an interesting one is uh, number 8, Central Florida. Brent Key made uh, just over a million last year at uh, Central Florida. So I, that's kind of interesting, I thought. But uh, yeah, Lincoln Riley and Mike Stoops now in the top 10 of uh, nationally of uh, coaches paid uh, salary-wise. And uh, I think that uh, Mike Stoops going into last year at 850K was 18th. So uh, I guess a bump of 50000 there to get up to 900000 And you can live pretty well in Oklahoma, I would think, and especially Norman, Oklahoma at 900K. Do you think so? 
I think so. Yeah, I think you could stretch that out pretty far here in the 405. You can have a freaking busload of kids making that kind of money. Might be able to buy Groovies for 900K. And if you think about it, I mean, can't... Why? That's way too many Cougars. <laughs> I don't know. It might be worth it. You can get a lot of nights in at Heyday. Are you still going to Groovies, Eddie? <laughs> yeah, I live close. To, I live you in live the same right neighborhood by. as Groovies. I haven't so been there in a your while. Neighborhood bar? Uh, I wouldn't. Cousins is the neighborhood bar, literally uh, the neighborhood bar. But uh, is Groovies open every night? No, it's only open Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So you gotta you gotta really take advantage of the nights when you can get over there. <laughs> so tonight's one of those nights. Uh, it could be. Yeah, tonight could be a Groovy night. It could be. Are there a lot of young people in your neighborhood? Uh, yeah. For the most part, there are. There's quite a few. So you live just right off of Northwest Expressway. Mm-hmm. Right behind uh, the, uh, I guess that's D.D. Kirkland. So is Groovy's more age-appropriate for you than like when you were living in Norman? I mean, honestly, I might, I might be too old to go there nowadays. It's like the college crowd goes there. So I don't know. I feel your pain, Eddie. Yeah. It, I live it, on Campus Corner. It's just, I mean, look... At, at some point... It, you, You're married, though. That's true. I mean, we don't really go out that often and do that kind of stuff anyway, but if we do, we go to, like, the library or something. That's always nice. You and, sit at home and listen to your Al Jolson record. I'll, listen, <laughs> I'll put Robert Goulet on the spin style. And you do have it. a Robert Goulet record. I do have you? a Robert Goulet record. I do, yeah. Uh, I think one thing that's interesting to note is, uh, you know, you talk about bringing in good assistants, and Kerry Cooks, Bill Beatenbow, they have the multi-year deals, they're also the two highest paid position coaches at uh, 450 for Kerry Cooks and 415 for Bill Bedenboe. You got to realize OU hired them away. Bill Bedenboe had a really good job at West Virginia. He was secure. Uh, Kerry Cooks, same thing at Notre Dame. So it is kind of cool that you get to see them rewarded. Uh, and they are two of the better position coaches in the country. And like you said, Joe, at their position. So, uh, Kale Gundy is bumped up to 390000 So, he is the uh, third highest paid coach on that, on that staff. But I think the really bizarre thing, and I, I mean, it just shows you how football rules is the minimum raise that anyone got was twenty five k, And... I think Patty Gasso got a $5,000 raise, and KJ Kindler and Mark Williams got $5,000 raises. They all won national championships yeah. this year. That's such a slap in the face to Patty Gasso, I feel like, to just give her a $5,000 raise. really good money for a softball coach. Yeah, though. that's true. That's true. I mean, I joked on Twitter the uh, after that, that was announced that they should have just given her a lifetime contract and uh, transferred all the money that, Pat, that uh, Sherry Cole was owed to uh, Patty Gasso and just switched contracts with them. You could probably argue that softball for outreach is outdoing OU basketball now. Women's side. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I would definitely think I mean, so. They're a national brand in softball. I don't know how much that translates into monetary value for coming back into OU, but I mean, you can go across the country and any softball girl, anybody playing softball in this country looks up to Lauren Chamberlain or Kaylani Ricketts or somebody like that, and they're huge OU fans. And. Patty Gasso and Mark Williams and KJ Kindler, those are three people that I know for a fact have to turn down some of the country's best recruits because they do so well at their sports. And don't think for a second that they they are they don't think about those college those football pay raises and look at their own and think they grumble under their breath a little bit. Well, and and the other thing was Bob Stoops was uh, extended to uh, 2021, which you have to do. You have to have some. You have to have a coach 
that has a contract that's at least five or six years just for recruiting purposes. Uh, so he was extended to 2021. He's not going anywhere. I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't ever see Bob Stoops taking another job. I think he... I think at this point you have to say Bob Stoops' entire coaching career will be at Oklahoma. He's going to be a lifer. Yeah. I I think we've passed the point of – I think mean, every year you've gone into a season like, well, if OU does this, this, and this, I could see him maybe making that move to the NFL. But I think we're officially past that point, aren't we? If this was a topic of conversation at the Rivals Challenge, a lot of the national analysts seem to be very intrigued about they, they didn't get have a good feel for – is Bob Stoops going to be there forever? Is he going to be there a couple more years? What's the deal with Stoops? And – I think that Eddie, Josh, and I kind of had the same response of whenever he wants to. I mean, that's basically it. He's not the kind of guy. He's not a Bill Snyder that's just going to be burning the midnight oil till he's in his seventies. No. He's going to find a time when he's he can walk away from it, and he's the kind of guy that can walk away from it. And I think you never know when that's going to be. It might be when his kids leave high school here in a couple of years, or it might be ten, fifteen years down the road. It just kind of depends on when that flame goes out for Bob. But I don't think he'll have a problem walking away when it does. You know, I, I, I kind of go back and forth on this. I mean, and Bob has said this. He doesn't want to be Joe Paterno. He doesn't mm-hmm. want to be um, Bobby Bowden. He doesn't want to be that guy coaching into his 70s. And he's, what, 54 now? That sounds right. Something like that. I always feel like he's 55. 55. So he'll be 56 in September. So he's getting up there close to the 60s. I can't imagine him wanting to coach much further than past his 60s. And then he can go work for ESPN, which I guarantee you is going to happen. Mr. I am not all that comfortable being asked questions by people. I think he'll, I think he'll be able to do pretty good as a media guy. He's always done really well when they've gone up to that, uh, oh, what do they call it, the car wash at ESPN or whatever. Yeah. He, he always seems like he has a good time with that. I don't... I don't think it's something that he particularly likes, but I think when you get when you when a coach retires like that, they just get bored. Yeah, that's kind of how I see. He he has this uh, his give a whatever meter is at complete zero, and so that's kind of a fun thing to put in front of a microphone, uh, especially when he's kind of at those car washes. I like the way that Eddie put it because he's just kind of, he's having fun with it. He seems like a guy who's constantly in these structured, stressful environments, and he's he does seem to be able to enjoy getting out of it and playing the game outside of uh, sports a little bit. Although, I, so you're not buying into He says he's going to coach middle school basketball. You're not buying into that, Kerry, when he retires? I could see him doing that. Just because, you know, his dad was a baseball coach and a football coach and did all kinds of stuff like that. I just, I'm really afraid that he's just going to hang out here and get a job at the sports animal and I'm going to have to do a show with him. <laughs> that would be great. I don't want to do a show with Bob Stoops. You think he's going to do like fill in stuff like uh, Pat Jones does in, in the mornings? That, I could see him doing that. God, that would be Bob Stoops taking calls after he's already, <laughs> after they banned him from the Bob Stoops calling show. I'll say this Bob will have more patience with, with fans than Pat Jones does. That would probably Pat be true. Pat does not like you're screwing around or, or not knowing what you're talking about. Does he think that you're trying to like kind of outwit him? Uh, you're just a slappy. Uh, just get off my phone line. That's that would be that would be the best. A full hour of Bob Stoops taking phone calls. Yeah, but if if Bob well, right now, but I mean, like you know, in ten years, if, I mean, he'll probably vacation for a while and all that stuff. But like Bob Stoops, 
it's it's kind of like how it always works. I don't. Know. I I don't even want to have this conversation. It's not. I don't want. I don't want it to happen. I don't want to have this conversation. <laughs> the best would I be. I want to think of Bob Stoops being a, a a sports animal host. The best would be the uh, the guy that is just so pissed off about a decision that was made in like two thousand two. Because you know, there's people out there that would call in and Bob, why'd you make this decision in o two or. 2003, you know when you lost your your edge. I really miss the Bob Stoops call-in show. What happens to the first guy that mentions the repunt? Yeah, that that would be that would be one that is up there. I mean, Carrie, I think you, I think Bob would just be like, "Yep, that was that was stupid." What what year was that when they stopped doing the call-in show? Because that was like after Tuesday uh, post practice. That was like, can you get home fast enough to be able to get in front of the television to see the start of the Bob Stoops call-in I, show? I, I remember that was like the First or second year that I started the beat with you guys. I'm asking you shall receive. You, know, you uh, said something to us about uh, the fans really needing to show up for the Kansas State game. And I'm in a club that's been around since the 70s. I'm the oldest remaining member. We, we've been bringing, well, 1.3 buses, but uh, this year we're down to just one. But a bus load of uh, fans over. We were joined by about 80,000 more of them, and they were, I thought, pretty loud, especially when Kansas State would have the ball. And I was just wondering, since we showed up, wondering uh, what you thought about fan participation as opposed to player participation. What do you mean by that? (laughs) I mean, I thought we did our part. I was hoping you thought we did our part as well. I, I think I thought you fans were fabulous. And I'm, I'm proud of my players, whether you are or not. I no, thought I'm my proud. players played hard. I, I thought they played hard the entire night. They made some mistakes. So be it. And if you... I'm, I'm, I'm a senior fan no matter what. Well, what did, what did you mean by player participation? <laughs> Mainly, I was referring to that I thought our fans were pretty loud most of the time. I, I acknowledge that, and I agree with you totally. Now, I didn't understand your part about you threw in the players there, and I, I thought our players played hard. And I'll always back them on that. Okay, and I sure did the other night. Whether you appreciate it or not, they did. I'm sorry they made some mistakes. Thank you, Dwayne. <laughs> Toby. <laughs> Thank Dwayne you, Dwayne. Tulsa. I wonder how many on Toby's face is just priceless. Oh, yeah. But that was the last that, that was the last time they took calls. I don't see a date on this on this thing, but that was 2012, right? Right, because it was after the K State loss at home. Yes, they lost to K State at home. Was that the Halloween? No, that wasn't on Halloween. That was yeah. That was just that, that was the uh, the Blake Bell fumble. Yeah, I think. Yeah, inside the red zone and uh, Landry Jones also fumbled. I think in that game, right? I yes. think that's right. Yeah, yeah that's rolled right. to his right and gave up a touchdown. Yeah, I, I I was at Sooner Vision when that was my first year at Sooner Vision when they quit doing the Red Lobster call and stuff, and I, I was still fairly new, so I wasn't involved in these discussions. But I remember them happening about uh, quitting c- the call in stuff, and I, you know, it's 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 basically silly because I think Bob handled that. Perfectly. Oh, it was fantastic. He nailed that. I mean, what else can that he do? That actually makes me, I mean, like, taking calls would make me, I I won't ever watch that show anymore. I mean, but if I know that Bob's going to take some calls, he's going to get some weirdos, mm-hmm. I, I that interests me. That was just great. He put that, he put him right back in his place, and he he, he, he did it in a way that, he. I mean, it was respectful, but anybody who... I was who'd... wondering about fan participation versus 
player participation. Bob was two levels ahead of that guy. That guy thought he was clever, but Bob was way far ahead of where he was. I'm just glad he got it out. I'm, I'm, there's some people that wouldn't have uh, had the uh, intestinal fortitude to actually ask the question to Bob. Oh, oh you could tell Dwayne was having to kind of muster it up as he Dwayne went along. Dwayne was pissed, man. He drove that bus all the way up. Oh, yeah. yeah. Me and 80,000 <laughs> others were there. So great. All right, uh, we don't need to talk about Bob Post football anymore. He's making a lot of money now. He's going to make it through 2021. Uh, one thing that, that did come up this week uh, is uh, Baylor, once again, and the Big 12 issuing a statement, which I thought was fairly strongly worded, uh, was a statement that, that basically said, look, it, it, well, and let me backtrack here. It, here's what was weird is I got a call from somebody that covers Baylor and they wanted to know, Hey, what, what was it that Bourne said about uh, the big 12 and Baylor? Cause they had the regents meeting, mm -hmm. uh, and then Bourne spoke and he made some comments about Baylor basically saying, we don't want to rely just on media reports. We want to know what really happened. And the bail, the guy I was talking to, he was like, well, I don't understand. It was an oral report. And my whole point the whole time is like I don't understand this attitude from Baylor. Like, well, it was an oral report. It doesn't, you know, it's not written down anywhere. I, my understanding is write it down. Like, st go from being an oral report to a written report. It's it's not that difficult. Well, it's clear. That Just write the damn words down on a piece of paper. It's like after they gave uh, after Pepper Hamilton, uh, the firm gave their report. It's like they uh, went up to him with the. Uh, with the black light or whatever from uh, Men in Black, and it's like, all right, your imagine or your memory has been erased. This never carry happened. on. This never happened. It's literally like talking to a kid who you want to do something, and they know very well they can do it. They just don't want to. It's like, well, you know, Johnny, can you go get your? Uh, can you go get your whatever? Go get your toy, and he just says, mm, it's upstairs. Well, yeah, we'll go. We'll go get it then. But I have to go up the stairs. Well, okay. Well, then go up the stairs. Like, it was an oral report. Well, that means you still know what the report was. Write it down or just say it to me and I'll record it. Like, well, I'm sure we can figure out the logistics of the situation, Baylor. From from the Big 12 standpoint, all they want to know is, I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but they just want to, they want to know what everybody else wants to know is, do they need to take any type of action? I mean, was there a bigger, is this a bigger shit show than it already is, I think, is basically what the Big 12 said. Eddie Radosevich. You and your cussy mouth. Sorry, folks. Mature, that, but that is what it is. Mature right content. Gonna change the rating on our iTunes thing now. <laughs> Eddie ruined it. Way to go, Eddie. Well, that's okay. I'll wash my mouth out with soap. But that's what it is. I mean that that's basically what the Big Twelve is saying. Yeah. Look, what they want is they want they had a study convened. They had a, a, a someone come in and investigate and there's no findings that anyone else can read now they've already asked baylor for this once and baylor has just been like yeah we saw that we didn't do anything about it we saw we know what you know we know you sent us something i mean did they even give them like a they didn't give them any type of response did they when they asked for it on may 24th no they just ignored it but they they acknowledged that they received the request <laughs> they've done that much so I mean, I don't know what, what recourse the Big 12 has if they just don't give them anything, but it, it does speak to 
a bigger picture, which is the lack of leadership, the lack of direction, even now, after all this stuff has happened. Because the Big 12 deserves to know. I'm sure that they don't want to write this stuff down because it's a a law firm that did it, and they're like, don't write this stuff down. Like You're going to be getting sued by all these people. We don't need to have stuff written down. So, you know, it can be submitted in a courtroom. Where where does the Title IX stuff land? I mean, they have, what, three lawsuits now or the three new lawsuits that came out last week? Uh, what happens with all that? I mean, and then you well, have the you whole get- Art Brile situation with him kind of pressing the issue and it turns out that he's using victims. And I mean, it's just it's an entire mess. It's a it's a, a Department of Education issue with the Title IX. I I don't know if you saw. I think it was the OU Daily had a story that said that you know OU is being investigated. Yeah, I saw that right now for like three different Title IX cases, and there's like two hundred investigations all across the country on top. Like they, I don't understand how Baylor even got away with not having a Title IX office when there are this many open investigations going on all the time across the country. I just assume that they're going on all the time, and that's it blows my mind that Baylor is not... They, would they not even concerned that this Title IX situation could ever arise? Because, I mean, this was just a ticking time bomb, almost waiting to happen with the ingredients they had over there. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It makes my head spin trying to just think of exactly how they got there and, and what they what they exactly expected. But I mean, just to kind of recap exactly what the Big 12, they sent out a release. Uh, they used words like gravely and deeply concerned. Uh, and they talked about the media reports, about you know the activities involving uh, the athletic program. They, they, they did mention on May 24th, so it hasn't been that long ago, May 24th, they requested a full accounting uh, of the circumstances surrounding the sexual assaults at the school, um, and mentioned that the board is privy to information uh, that's actually been made available to the public. But Bob Bowlesby sent a letter saying to their interim, their interim president David Garland, again requesting documents associated with the investigations. So the Big Twelve had to basically come out and say, "Look." We asked for this once. We're asking for it again. And by the way, we're letting everyone know that we're asking for this this time. Oh, yeah, it's on their website. And they, it, it said, yeah, they put it on their website, which is bizarre. Something that's this sensitive in nature, not usually something that you put on a conference website. Uh, but the request was not only for written materials, but... Any information that has been conveyed orally to the Board of Regents or, or anyone at the university, basically. Unedited, written, or verbal information from the Pepper Hamilton report. Just to, just omit the names. That's all they're asking. So they're basically saying, we want your investigation. We want to look at it. I don't know how much stronger you can be than that. And if they don't do it, I don't know, maybe we got some Mormons in the conference instead of Baptists. I was about to say, what's the ultimate, uh, what's the strength the Big 12 has here to get these things? So what is, if Baylor says, or what? what? What's the next step for the Big 12 then? I mean, can they do anything to Baylor? They or- could kick them out of the conference. There's, there's, 
uh, trying to think of the right way to say it. I mean, there are bylaws that that allow them to do certain things. If if an institution isn't living up or meeting to the you know meeting the standards of the rest of the conference, so <laughs> will it ever come to that? I can't ever see that. That would be amazing if that happened. I mean, just absolute. You're gonna get terrible tweets. Oh, it'd be. Uh, me? Yeah. From who? Jason King? <laughs> Don't go there. I mean, this is all, if that happens. I mean, this seems almost ridiculous to think about. But if that does happen, it's. I mean, people didn't even. People were literally right when they just said, "I watched the Big Twelve. It's going to self implode." Like that's literally what the Big Twelve would be doing. Not no one's even stealing their teams anymore. They'd be starting to kick them out, and it's it. Ugh. This conference, it would not be a good look. Well, it's already, it's already not a good it's, look. It's, it's hurting them on the field now because as of yesterday, the NCAA had ruled that five, unnamed for whatever reason, five <laughs> players, like, I, that doesn't make any sense. Five players have been granted waivers. Uh, we kind of figured it out who it was, and Baylor people think they have it figured out. Uh, but Parrish Cobb is one of them. That was confirmed, I think, by ESPN report uh, through his family. Uh, now, one of the guys, Brandon Bowen, is a guy that Oklahoma would highly covet. Mm-hmm. But he was not believed to be one of the five. There was apparently, there were some reports out there that there was a sixth that had had requested a, a transfer waiver or to be released. But it was after these other five, so that's still yet to be ruled on. Yeah, so the five that I that people are speculating that are the the guys that were released are Parrish Cobb, Cameron Martin, Patrick Hudson, J.P. Urquidez, and Donovan DeVernay are the guys that people are speculating that have been released. Now, Parrish Cobb uh, is a guy that Oklahoma really is focused in on, and they will try their best to get him to Oklahoma, and Kerry Cooks will try his best. Um, Texas is certainly working on this pretty hard. You know, I was thinking about putting a scoop together today, and, and I heard some stuff this week. Might as well just throw it out there now. Uh, people are saying, well, how does Texas get all these people in? And I was told yesterday of something that I didn't even know exists. Have you guys ever heard of a blue shirt? I've heard a gray shirt. Blue shirt, no. I Blue don't think shirt I is something that schools have available to them, and what they do is, okay, so let's say Texas. I mean, they're going to get the other Duvernay, Donovan, the uh, brother. Yeah, Donovan, and uh, Devin likely follows suit. Yeah, so or he's already. I think he's already signed. Yeah, yeah he already right. signed, right. committed, whatever. Um, let's say they get. Donovan. What they do is they tell him, okay, either don't come to summer school or you pay for your own summer school. And then what happens is they put them on scholarship the first day uh, classes start. And that's called a blue shirt, and they can count him towards next to the 2017 class. So you're basically getting him in to work out for the summer. Yeah. He just pays his he own pays way. He pays his own. It's, it, the tuition's less because you only have to carry nine hours, mm-hmm. I think. 
is there some kind of Thank you, computer? I mean, does the does the school then reimburse the family for that summer? No, or they have to pay. You're for just it. paying. Yeah, it. you have to pay for it, which is probably decently expensive at Texas. Or you just don't go to summer school. But you can't work out, can you? You can't work out. No. At that point, you're just going to eat the red shirt, right? You you, you say, all right, I'm not going to pay for the classes. I'll show up. When my fall classes start, you can count me towards next year. But I mean, you're not going to play if you're not there very work yeah, well. Yeah, unless, very unless just, unlikely that you'd be able to win a job if you didn't do summer workouts. So for a guy but, like, a, but those guys would be eligible to play. So it, it's it's a it's a called a blue shirt. It's a term that's not used very often, but it is out there. It can be used. I'm trying to think, and OU could do the same. Can you do that during the spring as well? Well, if it's during the spring. I think you can count towards the previous year. It's year's counting class. back. Yeah, yeah it to would the, count okay, back okay. to 2016 or 2017. So. That'd be interesting. I mean, Texas, it, it seems like just from the outside looking in, it seems like Texas is in really good shape for a lot of these guys from Baylor, which is, I guess, kind of makes that dynamic of Texas and Baylor even further that the Hudson kid. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's, it, I think people have a hard, I have a hard time understanding it. Like, you went to Bay. Okay, so you went to Baylor. You're not happy. So now you're going to go to Texas. Like, wouldn't you have just gone to Texas from the, in the first place? Yeah. yeah, and it makes it even uh, it makes it even more interesting that during this time, the players haven't actually from Baylor. While it's being reported that they've been let out, they haven't been officially let out of their NLI yet, have they? So schools can't talk to them. Like Texas, you can't have to have them. a release. Yeah, you have to have a release, which they should have today. I mean, if the NCAA came down with it yesterday, uh, they should have their releases today. It usually doesn't take long to get that turned around. And then schools could start contacting them. Terry Cooks could start calling people. Yes. Texas def- defensive backs coach could start calling people. Exactly. Okay. All right. Uh, now, one other thing that was uh, of interest along with this, and talking about eligibility and transfers and releases, uh, Adrian Hardy uh, chased this down last night. Uh you know, was coming in with this class had already signed, and I I did talk to some people you know close to OU. I talked to some people, uh, you know, outside in, in Louisiana and Houston area, uh, that kind of tipped me off to this last night. But apparently, this wasn't something that just happened. Like people were asking me on Twitter today, was it a violation of team rules? What happened? I don't believe that Adrian Hardy ever stepped foot in Norman. And I'd heard that this was something that wasn't blindsided, you know, didn't blindside him. The OU coaches and he had been talking about this going all the way back, uh, I want to say to early May. And basically, I, I still am a little confused on this. All I can tell you is he gets a full release, a transfer, and the OU coaches have tried to do everything they can to help him find a landing spot, making phone calls, uh, talking to coaches at other schools, uh, some Power 5 schools. They've even gone so far as to talk to JUCOs for him um, just to try and find him a landing spot. But for whatever reason, it's it's just not going to work out for Adrian at Oklahoma. And to be honest with you, I, I don't know that it was a good fit for him with all the receivers that they've got, mm-hmm. especially young receivers that need reps that haven't really performed 
yet. It's about the the easiest split that you can, I, I, I guess that you can come across for us for a school and for a player. Yeah. Now, is it is it processing? I mean, from com- that's the big question. Completely speculating, but that has to be the look. I mean, that's a, that's got to be the feel from the outside looking in on this thing, right? Is that that even though Oklahoma doesn't have that reputation of processing guys, but if if they had the opportunity to, they see some open spots at, for some receivers they really really like in twenty seventeen, like Sedarian Lamb to come back, like Omar Manning, they might look at somebody like Adrian Hardy and say, okay, well, maybe we can find another school for you to go to. We'll help you out with the process. Oh, you're good about that kind of stuff. And it makes me think of almost like the Tyrell Jacobs situation a few years back, uh, the defensive tackle from Louisiana. Now, this was still in the recruiting process, but essentially OU did the same thing. They they realized that they didn't that they had better options that they liked, but they still helped Jacobs find a fit. They helped Missouri find him and have that situation work out. This just so happened to happen after signing day, which is a little awkward. Yeah, I mean, something happened <clears throat> along the way, and and – I think he was an early commitment. I think he's probably got a staff that really didn't. They just needed to get bodies in in a class, and that I mean, I don't think anybody could have foreseen exactly what's happened to this recruiting class for them to have this many guys, you know, this many big name guys. Uh, and let's face it, I mean, last year the Vellis Jones kid, I mean, that was a, a blow to them, and I mm-hmm. think. They just felt like they needed to hold on to whatever they could, and then you know Michael Jones ended up coming through, uh, you know, in the end. So I, I think you're probably sitting there like, well, you know, you got a lot of young guys like A.D. Miller and Dahu Green, and and uh, you know, you got a young Mark Andrews. You got all these other guys we're trying to fit in to find ways for them to make an impact, and. You don't want it to look like you have too many receivers on your roster, and especially you don't want to have guys that can't help you. Yeah, filling up. So when a kid goes and looks at your depth chart, looks at your roster, and sees all these wide receivers, like what? Why do I want to go there? They got fourteen receivers. Could this be argued as a difference in, I guess, recruiting mentality? That just kind of the change that we've seen in within the staff here as of late, or. It, I mean, I guess that's that's the big. Question. Are they more hardcore? Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is kind of an SEC move in telling a kid that, eh, maybe maybe look somewhere else. I mean, you look at what Texas is doing with the Baylor kids in the blue shirts, and Oklahoma just did with Adrian Hardy. It almost has the feel like Oklahoma and Texas have realized that they have to up their uh, their toughness, I guess, in the recruiting game. They have to get a little more hard edged. Um, you know, say what you will about it, but that I guess they feel like that's the nature of the beast now. And I mean, I think Oklahoma's navigating it as best they can, whilst trying to be as good to the kid as they can. But this is clearly a, not clearly, but it looks to be a, a business decision, which OU generally tends to side on the fact of we'll give we offered the kid a scholarship, we're going to give him the scholarship and let him come here. But this seems to be a little more uh, tough nosed. Well, Joe, I know you you said you know last night when we were talking about all this stuff like. You'd had his number. You tried to call him. You tried to text him, and he was not responsive. No. And as far as I know, he's never been very responsive. I never have once gotten a word out of him. Um, I'm curious what his side of the story really is, because I did get a hold of him last night, but the only thing he did was confirm, yes, I've been released. Mm-hmm. It was just a one word. I phrased the question as, hey, we heard this. You know, I've, I've heard that Louisiana Tech and Houston... 
is uh, trying to recruit you now because you got released from OU. Is that true? And and he just said yes. And I asked him one other question. He never responded to it. So, I mean, when somebody doesn't talk like that and they get an opportunity, maybe there's something they want to say. Maybe he comes out and says, I got screwed or felt like I got screwed. <laughs> there's always one kid in the in the signing class that it's just like, I mean, until you said something about his name last night, I could have probably named every guy in the 2016 class. Adrian Hardy would not have been one. He committed so early. Kind that of, you were worried about or that you could just remember? Just just remember. I yeah. mean, just a guy that kind of slips through the cracks and it's like, oh, yeah, that, that guy did sign with Oklahoma. Well, I got, you know, the... And this happens. I mean, you get things, you know, we're in this business, and I'd actually got tipped off from someone in Louisiana that works for Rivals, and uh, they sent me a text message. It was during my radio show yesterday, and I can't remember exactly what it said, but um, he said, is Adrian Hardy going to end up at Oklahoma? And I thought to myself, who the hell is Adrian Hardy? (laughs) And then I thought, oh, yeah, he signed with Oklahoma. So, I, yeah, I'm right there with you. All right. Uh, w- uh, more to come on that, I guess. I mean, I guess we just have to wait and see how Adrian Hardy reacts to that. Uh, one other thing, football-related, wanted to get to. Cody Thomas is no longer an Oklahoma Sooner, which is so bizarre because it seems like yesterday we were at Colleyville Heritage mm-hmm. High School, Eddie, watching this kid. And it also kind of proves quarterback evaluation is the hardest damn thing there is. I mean, I watched that kid. We went out there, big, good arm. I guarantee you, if you had Baker Mayfield playing on the, on the field next to him, I would be like, of course, Cody Thomas, that's, yeah. that's the guy you want. You don't want this little Baker Mayfield kid. But it just didn't work out with football. And you know what? I'm actually glad it worked out this way for him. And I, I thought all along, if he got drafted and it just wasn't like, you know, 25th round or something, he'd probably take it. Just just move on, not have to worry about, you know, being the failed quarterback at Oklahoma. And that's what he's done. Pretty amazing. I mean, he... And this is a guy that really from about... I guess I want to say from about mid-season to the last month of the season didn't play that much. He DH'd, didn't play much of the field. And then the last month of the season, I mean, he almost hit 400. Uh, he ended up with uh, 117 at bats this year, which was a career high at Oklahoma versus 12 last year. Yeah. Versus 12, uh, or the, I guess two years ago would have been two years ago. Cause he took this year off. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and then, uh, he ends up batting 299 for the season, 354 on base percentage, 556 slug percentage, six home run, 27 RBIs. And, uh, really it was the last month of the season. I mean, he won a couple games for Oklahoma, including a bedlam series in which, uh, he had a home run in the opener in Oklahoma city, Oklahoma ended up winning the series against a team that is now uh, one win away from a national title series in, uh, in Jeez. Omaha. And uh, and the Dodgers, I think they showed a lot of uh, respect for him as well. They gave him almost a hundred thousand dollars more than the slot. more than the slotted, uh, yeah. and he ends up with a signing bonus of three hundred k. And uh, really, a guy that obviously has a good arm from the outfield. Uh, he can hit from power. He's fast. Uh, he's going to be a guy that I think somebody that you should really watch in the Dodgers farm system. I don't really know what their farm system looks like as far as outfielder talent. 
but uh, I would think that he'll have every opportunity, and uh, I think that he can probably translate to a guy that that can that can, I don't know if he can play in the major leagues one day. It'll be interesting, but he's definitely a guy that can can play for a couple of years in the minors and yeah. have a really good career. If he makes it to AAA in that system, he's he'll, in Oklahoma. City. He'll be in Oklahoma City. Yeah. Which he would be he, cool for he likes hitting in the ballpark and. I, to, he, he, he is a, he is a horrible failure at beard growing though. Like Joe Duvall's <laughs> beard is so much better than Cody Thomas's will ever be. We all have our own God given gifts. His, <laughs> his got him a three hundred thousand dollar contract. Mine gives me a four hundred, right? Or, or three hundred? Yeah. Did he get four hundred? He got three hundred signing bonus. Oh, okay. I don't. I, my beard doesn't get that much, so I think Cody wins that one. I think if you would have offered him three hundred k the night after they walked off the Owen Field after he started in a bedlam loss. Uh, he probably would have taken it. I mean, he had what, like eleven at bats the the first year he came 12. to OU, twelve at bats, and he and it wasn't like those were twelve great at bats. I mean, he just didn't look good out there. No, um, I think he had one base hit, and it was an infield single. Right, it, 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 and anybody who's played baseball knows that you, you do need that repetition. You can't just kind of jump into it, which is kind of why I'm worried that Kyler Murray's not going to be that successful yeah. hitting. I mean, you can't just jump into it and then pick up the timing. Timing is so important, and if those guys are hitting every single day. You're not just going to jump in and be better than him. Then you're not. So once he got to focus all this time on baseball, I know that there were people on the baseball team that were thinking he might not even make the team. We don't even know how good he is. But once he got that reputation, rep- repetition, you could see that those five tools starting to come out in him. He he is fast. They used him as a pinch runner his first year yeah. when he couldn't hit. He has a great arm. He was an Oklahoma quarterback. He can play right field and throw guys out at the plate. He's got a great frame. He can hit for power. He can hit for average. Um, he can field his position. So. I, it, it well, who to, knows? I mean, he might like, he might try and extend his professional career if he doesn't hit well and and move to the mound. That's that can always be a fallback. And mm-hmm. I think coming out of Colleyville Heritage, that was his big deal with the major league draft was they wanted him to get on the bump, and yeah. he never would because he didn't want to hurt his arm for football. And obviously now that's over, and uh, it will be interesting to see if he. Uh, there's a lot of guys that come into the uh, major league baseball through a position and end up on the mound. Mm-hmm. So. That will be really interesting. Thirteenth round pick. That's that's not bad. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. All right, let's move on. Uh, we're running out of time here a little bit, but uh, last night, Buddy Heald uh, taken with the number six overall pick in the draft. Doesn't go to Minnesota at five, which was a you know a lot of the projections were there, but Chris Dunn was available because Boston is stupid, and uh, you know I was kind of shocked at how it made me feel watching him go at number six and just thinking about a year ago at this time he was announcing that he was coming back for a senior year and everybody then said well if he would have win he would have been a late second round maybe mm-hmm. not drafted at all for for him to i mean his year was amazing but but for it to culminate in a a lottery pick lottery selection it's one of the the all-time greatest years I've ever seen a guy have. Especially where he came from, like you said. I mean, it, he was going to be an NBA prospect after last year. He was going to be probably picked. He was going to be – somebody was going to try to make him a starter. But he, no one was going to invest in him like they did after this year. He made himself worthy of an investment. And that that's a testament to just him, to Buddy Heald and, and, and to Lon Kruger and that staff. But he put in so much work into his shot when he came into Norman I remember Bill Self tells the story of when he's coming out of Sunrise Christian Academy in Wichita 
he, he this is not a great shooter. This is not a great basketball player. He doesn't doesn't look polished at all. Bill Self said, if I knew he was going to be this, we would have recruited him a hundred times harder. Um, so he really has come a long way and showed how he could build his value. And, he, and what also worked out for him was almost a bit of luck, or maybe he recognized it that the game was changing to a this wide open three point get your advantage, get your efficiency down at the three point line, and that helps you out in the long run. And that all these math guys and numbers guys will start to take value in that. And I mean, he shot an absurd amount of threes this year. I think it was over 300. I mean, he he's he is going to be a perfect fit into that league. And and New Orleans, that was a great spot for him to land. He's got Anthony Davis down low, clogging up a lot of uh, attention. There's going to be a lot of kickouts, a lot of open three looks for him, which is just what he needs. And he's also in an offense where he has an opportunity to score a lot. Uh, Eric Gordon's probably leaving there, so. You can't even. Uh, he's gone from hopefully that guy can make a roster in the NBA to now he's he looks like he could possibly be a productive player and a possible All Star one day. It's amazing. I, the the type of ride that he put Oklahoma fans on this season, uh, whether it be the forty six point game at Allen Fieldhouse or the incredible overtime effort in Ames against Iowa State, uh, Going or down the to Baton Rouge beating Ben Simmons, the yeah, number overall pick. Uh, the and and that was kind of the game that. I guess really elevated cousins to to where he got. I, I think we'll talk about him here in a little bit, but uh, Buddy Heald was he's going to go down as one of those guys that Oklahoma fans just uh, he's going to be maybe the number one quote unquote guy of the of the Oklahoma program basketball program. And there's been a bunch of big names, including Blake Griffin, who went number one. Uh, Buddy just I don't know. I don't know if a lot if. It's also probably the way that he's treated Oklahoma fans and how open he's been, how appreciative he's been. Uh, and I think that there's just kind of a love affair that, uh, you know, you, you see Blake Griffin come back to play the Thunder and uh, there's no doubt he gets booed. I don't think we'll ever see a day where Buddy Hield is booed by the Oklahoma, uh, I guess, fan base or the entire state when he comes back to Chesapeake Arena. That'll be Arena. interesting to see exactly how he is. Because, I mean, when when... Blake is like a local son, uh, so people would. I mean, he he people really loved him as an Oklahoman, and he put Oklahoma on the map. But he, you know, he was still kind of a superstar while he was here. Uh, hung out with the basketball team a lot. Buddy is that if you've been around campus, Buddy and that basically that whole basketball team will immerse themselves in campus activities. They will be around students. They feel like OU kids. They're around the community, um, and just his personality is so. I mean, it's just so electric i mean you can't not feed off of it um he's going to be somebody that ou fans love for a long long time probably forever and he's going to be one of those guys when people say you know wayman and alvin and blake griffin and buddy Heald's going to roll right off the tongue in that group uh it's pretty special for uh, uh that kid from the bahamas there's no doubt too that he will be a guy that i feel like as much as his schedule allows him to he'll be back around norman and be back around the lloyd noble center and be back around that team uh, next season, I think he just his his connection back to the university is that strong. Buddy goes at number six. Uh, everyone thought because of all the, I think he worked out for thirteen different teams, NBA teams. Uh, Isaiah Cousins ends up going uh, next to the last pick. Was that mm, when he went in the draft? Yeah. Yep. Uh, goes to Sacramento to play with the biggest baby whiner in the NBA, <laughs> and that's Demarcus Cousins. So he's sharing a last name with a jerkhead, uh, but. Yeah, I, I joked last night, welcome to the NBA, sort of, because that team is, so, they did beat the Thunder, I think, 
this year. I think they did out there. Yeah, and that it was their last game. Yeah, in that's the gym, right. That's right. That was, uh, that's why I hate him so much. Uh, so, I I mean, Demarcus Cousins. Yeah, maybe he'll be back and forth a little bit in the D League this first year, uh, but all you can ask for is an opportunity. He's got one. Yeah, you you talk about Buddy making a leap. Isaiah Cousins is a guy that after his freshman season, I remember people on the board wondering, should this guy even be on scholarship? <laughs> should this guy even remember, be? A- he had so many confidence issues just getting the ball across yeah. the court, you know, across the half court line. Yeah, he was, I mean, and there were points in his freshman season that you wondered, you know, what what they saw in this guy. But credit Lou Hill, credit Long Kruger, uh, they worked with him endlessly. He has a work ethic uh, like no other. It it competes with Buddy Heald, and they both kind of grew off each other, fed off each other, whatever you want to call it. And uh, you see where they are, where they landed now. They set the tone for the Kruger years. Uh, They really did. Those are Two guys that were part of the early years of Kruger uh, when he got here, one of the first couple uh, classes he recruited. And they're two guys that were both really, really raw coming out of high school. But you can see now that there, that athleticism was there and that it just needed some time and to be cultivated in the right work ethic and the right environment. And that that's kind of what Long Kruger has proven to be is that he can bring in these highly talented kids that may not be like the, the elite top tier guys that are automatic one and dones. And he can get these raw prospects, put them in his program for a few years, give them structure, and just watch them grow. Uh, and like one person said on the board that Hall's Price didn't get drafted, but Isaiah Cousins did. Yeah, um, that's impressive. That, that's just, I mean, that's a, you know, I, I think that's a shame that Hall's Price didn't get drafted, but that's a testament to Cousins that he made himself, you know, something somebody that the NBA could possibly want. Because he's a tough defender. He's got great length. He shot a good percentage from three, whatever you think about the way his shot looks. Uh, that's well, when you watch, and that's the thing, you watch the NBA, you realize there aren't a lot of defenders out there. There are mm-hmm. not a lot of guys like Clay Thompson is like a unicorn, a guy that shoots that well and plays defense. Like Steph Curry can't play defense, real you know, realistically. No, Westbrook could if he wanted to, but he doesn't. James Harden's an embarrassment to the word. I you just, I mean, like Tony Allen. There's a reason he's been in the league forever because he defends and. You look at, at what Isaiah Cousins does and how hard he plays on the defensive end, there really is a place for him in the league, and, and he could last a long time uh, if he just makes some shots. And I mean, hell, Andre Robertson has a job in the league. That's true. He's a starter in the league <laughs> on a know. Western Conference not, Finals team. For one team, he's a starter. Right. Probably not anymore. But uh, he, he is, though. Him, Tabo, uh, those are, there are guys out there that show that yeah, you, 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 you can make a living in this league if you play tough, tenacious defense with a great wingspan and you can knock down an open shot every now and then. And that's the, that's the shot Cousins have. That's the, that's the niche he has to build in the NBA. It's, you know, it's and not, Cousins, is, it's not like he's a guy. I mean, he, he'll take a lot of shots way behind the three. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's got range. Mm-hmm. He's not, I'm not really that worried about making shots, moving the line back and stuff like that. It's just, you know, confidence, I think, for him is a big issue. He can get down on himself. He can get flustered. Uh, he's not a guy that you probably want handling the ball all the time in the NBA. But he he could be a, you know, a combo. He just got, he he kept getting better. And I think that's, that's probably the number one thing that you look at. I, I don't think he's necessarily reached a ceiling by any means. He can... 
he can still turn into a into a decent ball handler. He can get better yeah. doing that. And uh, I I think that he not he's not going anywhere. He's going to be in a gym somewhere attempting to get better. So Russell uh, Westbrook used to have an elbow jumper like his. I mean, yeah. he doesn't really shoot it anymore, but you can make a living he off of that. He has that same stop and go. I mean, yeah. he's obviously not Russell Westbrook, but he can kind of stop his momentum, get it going on a dime yeah. uh, to get that shot off in transition. Like no, that. he will drive you to the bucket and then pull up, you know, at that elbow. That's And he's money from that spot too. It's kind of Clay Thompson's signature mm-hmm. move now too. So all right, well, uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the uh, Sooner Scoop podcast, and I uh, appreciate Eddie Radosevich and Joe Duvall. Uh, I'm going to be on vacation next week, so I will be hard to reach. <laughs> I Unfortunately, I am on a new diet since my radio, one of my radio partners, Phil and Zinka, tried to kill himself. <laughs> so I'm wearing my Fitbit, and I can't just sit around and drink whiskey all next week, which is very unfortunate. You can walk around and drink it, though. As long as you're That's moving. That's a good point. Two birds, one stone. I'm telling you, after two weeks of working out, it doesn't take much whiskey anymore. <laughs> I, I, I hear they're coming out with like a Gatorade whiskey blend type of drink. That sounds like Ugh. for sissies. That's like Fireball. Fireball? Just drink your whiskey like No, that's man. like Firefly, you mean. Don't dog Fireball. Fireball is an abomination to whiskey. Drink a bottle then. We'll see how, how I you am feel. not drinking that. I'll... Mix that Don't with some apple started, cider. Eddie? It's not bad get fired if this conversation continues <laughs> <laughs> all right that's eddie radosovich the cusser he's a, he's a cusser the bad boy he's got a dirty mouth sue me uh joe Duvall, appreciate you uh being a part of the show as well and uh i am carrie murdoch so next time we will see you then that makes no sense but that's how we're ending the show we'll see you guys next time